So now we know. Once again, not for the first time, the Western world has learned that mere words or even friendly gestures are never enough to stop a dictator bent upon territorial expansion. As it has happened in relation to the future security of Ukraine, there have been a lot of words. Last week, I briefly reported on the 1994 Budapest Memorandum signed by the United States, the United Kingdom and the Russian Federation, in which the three major powers pledged to protect the sovereignty and territorial agreement of Ukraine. In return for this pledge, Ukraine agreed to abandon its role as the third largest nuclear power, to give up all the nuclear weapons that had been left in Ukraine by the Soviet Union when it collapsed three years earlier in 1991. Faced with the imminent threat of Russian annexation of Crimea, last week the Ukrainian parliament invoked the Budapest Memorandum as it sought to defend its sovereignty too late. Last Sunday, Crimeans voted for annexation. Last Tuesday, Putin obliged. On further inquiry, I discovered that the memorandum was a good deal more specific than reported. The three nuclear powers reportedly made six pledges in recognition of Ukraine becoming a signatory of the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons, in addition to returning all of Russia's nuclear weapons left on Ukrainian soil by the former Soviet Union. First, they pledged to respect Ukrainian independence and sovereignty within its existing borders. Secondly, the three agreed to refrain from the threat or use of force against Ukraine. Third, they would refrain from using economic pressure on Ukraine in order to influence its politics to their advantage. Fourth, they would seek United Nations Security Council action if nuclear weapons are used against Ukraine. Fifth, they would refrain from the use of nuclear arms against Ukraine. Sixth, they pledged to consult with one another if questions arose regarding all these commitments. Memorandum emerged from negotiations that began in April 1992 and concluded on December 5, 1994, indicating that those signing it took it seriously. Then and subsequently, the memorandum was signed by Ukrainian President Leonid Kuchma, Russian President Boris Yeltsin, U.S. President Bill Clinton, and British Prime Minister John Major. But the two other members of the United Nations Security Council also joined in. China gave Ukraine security guarantees in a government statement issued a day earlier on December the 4th, 1994, but whether any top Chinese government leader signed is not known. France made a separate declaration that was handed to Ukraine on December the 5th, together with a covering letter signed by French President François Mitterrand. The high-level signatures indicated a political commitment to Ukrainian security, but the words used by and about the memorandum did not. Evidently, the only specific obligation that the three nuclear powers undertook to fulfil their six pledges was that they would consult in the event of a situation arising which raises a question concerning these commitments. As one Ukrainian academic subsequently described the document, quote, Tellingly, the authentic 
English-language copies of the Budapest Memorandum use the term security assurances, which is far weaker than security guarantees. The Budapest talks on giving Ukraine security guarantees did not eventually result in a comprehensive international agreement that creates an adequate special international mechanism to protect our national security, unquote. Ironically, China's unilateral statement on the memorandum envelops it in an appropriate degree of vagueness, as Beijing referred to an inclination to a peaceful settlement of differences and disputes by way of fair consultation. An Oxford professor of international relations, Stephen McFarlane, best describes the essential limitations of the Budapest Memorandum. It gives signatories justification if they take action, but it does not force anyone to act in Ukraine. So what influence, if any, was the 1994 Budapest Memorandum on the ongoing Crimea crisis? Clearly it was one of several commitments influencing current American concern over Russia's recent actions, as President Obama and President Putin had a 90-minute phone call when the crisis intensified on March the 1st. I can say this because the White House, no doubt deluged with journalists' questions about what kept the conversation going for 90 minutes, helpfully issued a readout of Obama's call with Putin. Straight away you learn from the readout that the Budapest Memorandum was one influence among several as the US confronted incipient Russian aggression. Quote, President Obama spoke for 90 minutes this afternoon with President Putin of Russia about the situation in Ukraine. President Obama expressed his deep concern over Russia's clear violation of Ukrainian sovereignty and territorial integrity, which is a breach of international law, including Russia's obligations under the UN Charter, and of its 1997 military basing agreement with Ukraine, and which is inconsistent with the 1994 Budapest Memorandum and the Helsinki Final Act. The United States condemns Russia's military intervention into Ukrainian territory, unquote. <laughs> You've got to hand it to Obama. According to the readout, he doesn't beat around the bush. Quote, the United States calls on Russia to de-escalate tensions by withdrawing its forces back to bases in Crimea and to refrain from any interference elsewhere in Ukraine, unquote. Very quickly, Obama follows up by trying hard to see the Russian point of view. Quote, we have consistently said that we recognize Russia's deep historic and cultural ties to Ukraine and the need to protect the rights of ethnic Russian and minority populations within Ukraine, unquote. Soon after that, Obama makes it plain that there is an easy way out of the crisis, quote, President Obama told Putin that if Russia has concerns about the treatment of ethnic Russian and minority populations in Ukraine, the appropriate way to address them is peacefully through direct engagement with the government of Ukraine, unquote. After again mentioning the influence of the Budapest Memorandum, Obama hints to Putin where Russia's continued violation of Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity will likely lead. Quote, 
the United States will suspend upcoming participation in preparatory meetings for the Group of Eight summit in Sochi in June, unquote. Yesterday, March the 20th, German Chancellor Angela Merkel told the Bundestag that for the time being, the G8 would again become the G7, with Russia excluded. Concluding, Obama tells Putin what Russia's aggression against Crimea will achieve for Ukraine. Quote, Going forward, we will continue consulting closely with the Ukrainian government and the International Monetary Fund to provide the new government with significant assistance to secure financial stability, to support needed reforms, to allow Ukraine to conduct successful elections and to support Ukraine as it pursues a democratic future. Unquote. In other words, Putin was politely reminded that Russia was driving Ukraine into America's and Europe's arms. Of course, I have no way of confirming that the conversation went like this. The White House only provides a summary of what Obama said. I assume it's fairly accurate. Of course, the Kremlin would never dream of providing a readout of what Putin actually said. The fascinating question remains, how did the two leaders with their contrary views still manage to talk for an hour and a half without either slamming down the phone in a fury? My guess is that even amidst crisis, Obama was still anxious to sustain the hopes originally engendered by his reset of superpower relations while Putin had an interest in making it clear to any potential intriguers in the Kremlin that he can still talk with the Americans. As far as I can see, there has only been one occasion when Russia accused the US and Britain of violating their Budapest Memorandum pledges. That came last Wednesday, March the 19th, when the Russian Foreign Ministry accused Western states of violating their 1994 commitment to respect Ukraine's independence and sovereignty when they indulged in a coup d'etat that ousted President Viktor Yanukovych. Perhaps indicating where China's sympathies lie in today's looming Cold War, Xinhua News Agency further relayed this highly questionable tale with obvious relish. The accusation was a reminder of the larger story that lies behind current developments. Recent events in Crimea are a reminder that Russia has used political pressure and military force to redraw the map of Europe for the first time since World War II. Underlying this event is an ongoing struggle between Russia and the West for competing spheres of influence. As President Putin illustrated in his lengthy speech in the Kremlin last Tuesday announcing the annexation of Crimea, Russia handicaps itself in this struggle by an enduring inferiority complex. Putin still sees the collapse of the Soviet Union as an unmitigated strategic disaster. He simply cannot see that Russia brought the disaster upon itself by the excessively authoritarian way in which the Soviet Empire was run. Instead, he views the growing influence of the European Union and of its ally, the United States, plus the expansion of the North Atlantic Treaty Alliance, NATO, as essentially an anti-Russian plot. 
He cannot see, for example, that one reason for that expansion is the fact that numerous small European nations still seek protection from a Russia which might behave like the aggressive Soviet Union of old and which in Crimea today is seen to have done just that. Conversely, there are times when the European Union, the EU, seems to do its best to arouse Russian fears and phobias. Thus, in 2009, the EU initiated its Eastern Partnership Scheme, aimed at strengthening its ties with former Soviet republics, including Ukraine. This inevitably aroused Russian historical possessiveness vis-à-vis Ukraine, as well as security concerns for its Black Sea fleet and its gas pipelines which run through Ukraine. The then Russian President Dmitry Medvedev commented, Some view this as a partnership against Russia. At first, when he was elected president in 2010, Viktor Yanukovych pursued improved relations with both Russia and the EU, a sensible policy. But after Putin was elected Russian president in 2012, Yanukovych came under increasing Russian pressure to make closer ties with Russia his first preference. Yanukovych forgot that improved ties with Europe were politically popular, particularly in western Ukraine. Late in 2013, he went back on an earlier promise to sign a partnership agreement with Europe after Putin promised a massive $15 billion loan from Russia to ease the ailing Ukrainian finances. Misgovernment by Yanukovych, together with his rejection of Europe, spurred on a people power movement in Independent Square in Kiev, which reached massive proportions when he tried repression as well. Was Putin to blame for pushing too hard for better Russian ties? Certainly he failed to see that he was backing a hideously corrupt leader in Yanukovych. Most of the first tranche of that Russian loan three billion dollars, has evidently gone into bank accounts of Yanukovych and his cronies. Today, Ukrainians marvel at Yanukovych's luxurious homes, his private zoo of rare animals, plus a personal 18-hole golf course, now all open to Ukrainians since Yanukovych took refuge in Russia. Putin condemns the West for ousting Yanukovych when Putin himself is more obviously to blame.